0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the YAM Podcast. My name is Nahal Hachwin. In today's episode, I am interviewing my very own sister-in-law. God did not bless me with any sisters of my own, but he gave me two brothers who can marry other women. (laughs) Woohoo! And they, so I have two sister-in-laws actually. And not only did um, I win two fabulous sister-in-laws, They each come from all-girl families, and so they have two sisters each. And so, actually, because I did not have any sisters, I now have, like, six sisters. (laughs) I have zero brother-in-laws, guys. Um, And what is super fascinating with having sister-in-laws is that it's, it's so intimate. You get to see an intimate side of things because you're by default with your brothers and with your nephews and nieces and it's really beautiful and you get to see and grow with women who almost like you want to say you didn't know them up until this time until they like joined your family but then they become like not only blood but just like enmeshed in every corner and crevice of your life and it's really It's really sweet to be so influenced and affected by complete strangers almost in a way, but then just like literally they become parts of you. Like I can't even remember the type of woman I was before my sister-in-laws because they each taught me so much just about being girls, being women. I think I taught them a lot about also makeup and hair. (laughs) It's fascinating how when you don't have any sisters. you you literally have to watch everything on youtube and somehow i ended up learning some things that they also wanted to learn so it's awesome in this episode um Asiya is sharing her experience of motherhood and i can't wait to share it with you guys i'm just gonna let you guys listen to it Woohoo! Welcome to the YAM Podcast. My name is Nahal Hachmi, and I am your host. And today we have a lovely guest, my very own sister-in-law, who's going to be talking about all things motherhood. Welcome, my love.
1: Hi, so nice to be here.
0: So I have the privilege of being able to see how you mother on a very intimate level. I get to see boobies. I get to see skin. I get to see my nephews. I get to see fights. I get to see playtimes. I get to see the day-to-day things that you try to remind them over and over again. And I don't know if I've ever said this to you, but it's something that for me, this is the closest form of motherhood that I get to see on a day-to-day basis. When I see you doing anything, it's like as if I'm taking like solid notes of what to do when I have kids and so I want to go back to so I have two nephews you have two boys and I want to go back to the beginning so what was it like for you as a first-time mother and what was that whole process like
1: yeah well thanks Nahal um I you know I just want to say first before I answer your question that you know it's um really wonderful to have you as an auntie or goo goo for the for the boys and I feel honored that we can be you know test ground or whatever uh, for motherhood so you can see how it's done and i we definitely I definitely make mistakes but I'm learning from them that's what motherhood's all about so yeah uh, being a first-time mom it you know I think for anyone for their first kid it's it's a big change. Like you go from being um, just you and your spouse to now your whole world is revolving around another human being. And automatically like so much, like, I feel like as soon as you become a mom, you become like, I always say like moms become like super people because you, your whole world, yourself doesn't really matter that much anymore. Like your whole world revolves around this little tiny being that you're trying to keep alive and survive and thrive. Um, so, yeah, I think for me it was, you know, we were excited. I we I prepared a lot. Um, you know, we did like um, birthing classes. I read a lot. My sister has two kids. She had them before I gave birth to my first son. Um, I have both of them. Yeah, she had both of them. So uh, my niece is um, three months older than Hugo. And um, so, I mean, she was a big support and I have her close by and I have my parents close by. So that was really wonderful. And Niaz, my husband, your brother, was very involved um, before Hugo was born. So I feel very lucky about that. Like, you know, really wanting... (laughs) he was like involved in like the birthing classes he was like mm-hmm. so into like we did like a hypno birthing thing he was so into that like helping me breathe and like helping me practice breathing like we would um read to the baby before he was born and we'd mm-hmm. sing to the baby so I felt like just really blessed and lucky to be surrounded by you know supportive nurturing people And then to be bringing Hugo into a supportive, nurturing environment and your parents were there when he came and um, everything. So, and I felt like I was really prepared and I'm someone that likes to be super prepared and super organized and super in control. But Mm -hmm. I think the hardest part for me, I mean, becoming a mom is like realizing that there's so much out of your control. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing that was a challenge for me like birth wasn't a big deal and i feel like kind of guilty saying that because i know a lot of people (laughs) have trouble like with labor and but i feel very blessed that i had a a healthy labor and um a very pretty quick a relatively quick labor and i was able to do it naturally which is what i had wanted to do from the beginning um but after he came was the hardest part and being in the hospital and he had jaundice and then all the nurses coming in and out. He just like, and I feel like I just, even though I knew that like, okay, maybe baby had to be skin to skin for breastfeeding to work, like I did it, but I'm in this like, you know, fog of like just giving birth. So um, I still look back and be like, is there something I could have done differently so he would have breastfed properly? But he didn't, so he never mm. like, he latched, but he never like transferred the milk. I guess he just like couldn't suck properly. I don't know. And also he had jaundice and we had to give him some bottle and some like syringe feeding stuff. We were like, oh, let's do the syringe because we don't want him to get used to the bottle. And it was like all this stressful stuff around that. So basically the first, well, really the first three months were really stressful, like trying to figure out breastfeeding to see if it would work and like, kind of feeling like a failure yeah. that like something was wrong with me that like why he couldn't, why he couldn't breastfeed, and like beating myself up about that. So that was really hard. And then I, so I ended up, so we went to like physical therapy for him. We went to different doctors to try to figure out his like torticollis. He had like whatever, he had like a tongue tie. We got it clipped. Like there was like, everyone was like, oh, this is the problem. Let's fix it. Oh, that didn't work. This is the other problem. Let's fix it. That didn't work. And then I'm just like, so then I ended up just pumping for him for six months. Like I fed him exclusively pumping, but then after six months um, he just needed more and I couldn't produce it. So we ended up giving him formula. And looking back now in hindsight, knowing that my son is grown, growing up and healthy and fine, um, that was just like a whole stressful <laughs> thing that I'm like, I should have just given a formula to start off with. So Mm. I felt like, you know, it just made me realize that there's so much now with parenting today, so much pressure put on the mom to conform to a certain way. And I think in recent years, there's been so much more hype around like you breast is best, you have to breastfeed. And Mm. like, Moms feel bad or guilty or are mm. ashamed, you know, even if not like blatantly, like, you know, subconsciously through like different mm. things that we read online or different mom groups we're in that were, you know, breastfeeding doesn't work out. So, yeah, my biggest learning. And then with my second son, who's now nine months, I was like kind of worried that the same thing would happen again. But I kept telling myself that if it does, I'm just going to give him formula (laughs) right away because I, I couldn't see how I could like parent a toddler and another, a baby and be like pumping. Like intensely and living that kind of life. So you learn through experience and (laughs) for
0: sure. I remember when I, when, so I was doing my integrative yoga therapy training when you gave birth. And I received the beautifulest photo of all the four grandparents on the porch, all praying for you when you were in the hospital. And that was so sweet. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I really think that when families come together and they really understand the importance of family, that there's some beautiful things that it's just really nice when like things gel well. So when I arrived, it was like two weeks after Hugo's birth and me being the public health person and all this, like knowing about breastfeeding and working in the gynecology and obstetrics hospital. And my main job was to teach people how to breastfeed or like to tell them the importance of it. I was here with my righteous knowledge and all these things. And I was kind of like worried when, when you told me that you weren't breastfeeding. And this is where, when I think about it, I like feel really awful that (laughs) in order for you to prove to me that that's what was going on for the past two weeks already, and you guys have been trying and all these things, and then you were bottle feeding, you had already decided. But in order to prove to me that he really wasn't latching on, you did it, you showed me anyways,
1: that- (laughs) Like what I don't thing? even like, remember that. That I'm time so was like glad. so hazy.
0: <laughs> so happy because what ended up happening was that you got so distraught and you got so frustrated all over again. And I knew you really just wanted my approval and not <laughs> to think that you were like a bad mother and not that I was intended to do that, but it was just, I couldn't understand what that meant. And I regretted that I had to be shown it in order to like understand it instead of just accepting that that was the truth like i needed Mm. to see that like oh okay like this is really distressing for the baby and for you and that's something that i just wanted to say to like the listeners and like if you're like a family member or you're you have family in this it's something crazy that you do want your family to be like on board with you with whatever decision you have to make. But sometimes when things are just both parties, like nobody likes the fact that breastfeeding is not occurring, but then sometimes like acceptance needs to kick in like a lot sooner than allowing for like hurt to kind of happen and things like that. But yeah, I actually want to go back to sleep because i know you don't function well on no sleep this was before you had kids like by 10 o'clock you started speaking incoherently like you we had to put you to bed like we we knew that but then when motherhood kicked in and then being sleep deprived i was actually so pleasant i really didn't think i think i thought you were just gonna like literally pass out and then we had to put like the baby on your boob or something like that but you actually were like i mean of course like instincts and all these things kick in but um that didn't i didn't feel like it 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 like messed with your system as much as i thought it would but maybe maybe your personal experience was different i don't know what are your what are your thoughts about that
1: you know it's funny because yeah i i definitely value my sleep i still value my sleep and i look forward to the day when I can like sleep in <laughs> and be able to just like feel well rested. Um, but yeah, I think it goes back to like what I said about like when you become a mom that you just become a super more super than you were before. Like <laughs> I'm not saying like, I'm like a superhero, but like, you know, um, I, I was su- I'm super Aussie now because I, I don't have, you know, even though I'm tired, I don't let myself fall asleep and sleep through the baby crying. You just like, you know, that that's your responsibility. And that becomes like the number one thing. That's my job to feed the baby. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's just, you know, motherhood brings that out of parents. And I, I say motherhood, I think parenthood, you know, changes both the mom and the dad but there's something about motherhood like biologically that you just forgo your past comforts because mm. you your baby is everything
0: <laughs> like name, and
1: <laughs> name some of the, the the comforts that you give up sleep <laughs> you know like time for myself <laughs> mm. And I mean, there's ways to like fit that in, but like, it's not like I, or like what I want to do, but like really, you know, okay, yes, I'd like to sit down and watch a TV show in the middle of the day or have this snack, but what do the kids need right now? I need to like attend to that. So I think not saying that, like, you have to like totally self-sacrifice everything as a mother, but like, it just reorients what's important and. To me, at least all the little things, like, I think it's been a big lesson in detachment, like all those little things that I thought I needed to like, have a good day or to, you know, be a full person, which I still do need. I still need them, but they're not number one, like my number one priority. So mm-hmm. I need, I, I definitely need time for me and self-care and time for adult conversation in my life. But I wouldn't like prioritize that over taking care of my kids and what they need mm-hmm. during the day. So, and I'm yeah. sure all moms, they can relate.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about second baby and how like second baby, no problem with breastfeeding.
1: Yeah, um, yeah so second baby's named Theo. So mm-hmm. I'll just refer to Theo. <laughs> and I think a genius. lot of it, had to do with actually, I had a home birth for, Mm -hmm. or having Theo, um, Hugo, my first was born in the hospital. So Theo, I was, I was worried. I was worried that like, Oh, the same thing would happen. I think as I mentioned before, but I had mentally been like, okay, I'm going to try. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But I think being, having a home birth really impacted it, at least for us. Like, I can't say if it would for everybody, but, um, I was Can you actually lucky.
0: it's so Sorry. funny that I did not at all think about asking you about the second birth <laughs> until now, and then I'm just like, oh my god, this is the best story ever! Like, you have to tell
1: it. Oh my gosh. Sure, that yeah. So
0: the why Niaz is here in the next room.
1: <laughs> oh, he me. loves telling this story, but I'll tell it. Um since I'm the guest on this podcast. (laughs) Okay. So I I guess I want to just say, so um, reflecting on my my first birth experience, being in the hospital, I really felt impacted my ability to bond with Hugo and to actually get establish a breastfeeding relationship. Mm. Not just the jaundice, but like the nurses coming in and out, people swaddling him, taking all his vitals, taking my vitals, like blah, 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 blah. So all of that after, after I gave birth, I think really affected it. So I had known a lot of people in my life who had home births, um, our other sister-in-law and uh, my cousin and a few other friends, my doula from my first birth, she had all her kids' home births. So she, like a lot of people were really recommending home births to me. And I think also because it was the pandemic, like that was like another thing. I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> so from the beginning, I was like felt really confirmed about having a home birth. Um and my biggest worry about that was that the midwife wouldn't get there on time. Mm. And it's funny in how your biggest fears like manifest themselves. So what happened was um it was like early in the morning on actual due date, and I went into labor. And like Niaz and I were so tired and out of it. It was like two in the morning or something. When we called the midwife, we like, I don't know, Niaz was mumbling or something, and she misunderstood like the timing of the contractions, but like they were coming fast. Like I woke up in active labor. And so I basically labored for like three hours. And then the baby came, and like when she finally realized that she should get in the car, I was getting ready to push. So Niaz had her on the phone. And And she was 45 minutes away, right? It was 45 minutes away, but she stepped on it. It was like, I don't know, four in the morning or something. (laughs) And so basically I was getting ready to push and she was on the phone with Diaz, and she's like, get her on her hands and knees. And we were in the bathroom. Hugo was sleeping in the next room. And I like literally like pushed twice. (laughs) And uh, Theo was born and (laughs) Diaz caught him. And it was just us. (laughs) <laughs> and his big brother was still asleep in the other room and I had this whole plan like I like to be prepared um I had this whole birth plan like my sister was gonna come she's gonna be with me like be my doula and my mom was gonna watch Hugo and um and like you know and the midwife and her assistant were gonna be there to catch the baby like it was gonna be all good yeah. <laughs> but it ended up you know working out this way and You know, I just feel so lucky that it was so fast because they say, she said afterwards that like, you know, a, a labor that happens that quickly is like a healthy labor. Like there's mm-hmm. no complications. So yeah. I feel so lucky that that was the case that he, like everything was fine with him and he has caught the baby. And then my sister came, like, it was like, he was like texting her. He was on the phone with the midwife. He caught the baby. He was like doing everything. He was becoming super dad. <laughs> um, and he and tells the story with <laughs> immense pride, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah um but he was telling everyone it was like you know he was on like such like a high afterwards he's like i um... can do this i can i can catch any baby he's like oh i can do this like this could be like my part-time job now i could be like a mid-husband or whatever you call them um so yeah so anyway my sister like comes like rushing over she lives quite close by so she comes rushing over like I guess five minutes after he caught the baby, she's like, I'm here to help. What? The baby's here. <laughs> and then, like, she helps get me to the bed and everything. And then, like, you know, maybe 10 minutes later, the midwife comes and she helps, like, with the afterbirth and she helps make sure we're all okay. And
0: wait, I wanna yeah. zoom in here, like, <laughs> because Nia's caught the baby. And this is a part that a lot of people don't know that the placenta is supposed to come out afterwards. So, baby was still attached to mother <laughs> and they were both trying to get her from the bathroom to the bed with an umbilical cord and holding the baby and all that maneuvering with two people just trying to get like Aussie's sister and Nia's like just helping her get on the bed
1: so then yeah when the
0: midwife came then you can go
1: Oh okay yeah so the midwife came like you know the afterbirth doesn't come like right away so we had some time like <laughs> and um but yeah, everything was fine. Like I didn't want to like get into like graphic detail. <laughs> I do. I did.
0: I really did because I think that's just like there's that's a part where people just don't understand, and so like people need to know if if something like this happens to them, it's not done when the baby just comes. Like there's other things that need to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and to yeah. Anticipate
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I guess like I'm my biggest like I. If anyone's contemplating a home birth and like you, especially I felt really comfortable doing a home birth for my second child. I like for my first, I felt like, oh, I had to be in the hospital, mm-hmm. but some people feel like they can do it for the first two. But I mean, if you're healthy and you're having a healthy pregnancy, I highly, highly recommend a home birth. I don't know in China if that's a thing though. I don't think I so. Do probably. Think, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so I felt yeah yeah there's probably a midwife or something um but yeah I felt very lucky and blessed to be able to make that choice and to be able to do it and then okay so then the breastfeeding the whole point of this story was about the breastfeeding um being in my like being in my own home and having whoever I wanted there like my sister my mom my dad came like you know my brother-in-law came my nieces came (laughs) like everyone came to see the baby after he was born um and i just think there's something about that like being able to properly recover take a shower and sleep in your own bed with the baby and my midwife even told me she was like if you can like if you have the support just stay in your bed for like the first week you know, like only get up to go to the bathroom so you can properly heal and you could just focus on the baby. So like, that's what I did. Like Niaz and my mom brought me food. Like, um, so I was upstairs. I lived in, you know, my upstairs for the first week and then, you know, slowly made my way into the rest of the house and the rest of the world. But it was also in January. So that was a good time to like, just like be inside and not do anything. Um, snowing outside <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah I think that and so like I was really worried about the breastfeeding but like you know right off the bat he you know latched fine and he was able to get what he needed so um it was really really wonderful and also mm-hmm. like a big lesson for me in detachment you know how like realizing how much attached, how attached I was to it with my first son and then like just letting go and like I find when you let go things like fall into place often at least in my experience yeah um so yeah that that's my really I guess take on you know breastfeeding and yeah new motherhood
0: So what about now, I'm really interested to hear more about how, like, what are these little games that you play with my nephews, like every morning? Like, how do you set them up so that they become like super duper moral? I like really want you to tell people how you, um, use virtues in their names to reinforce in them certain qualities like can you describe how you chose those virtues specifically what you do to reinforce that
1: sure yeah um so i i feel like the biggest my biggest job and the biggest service i can provide um is to raise souls that are noble and kind and generous and that can be of service to and like be a a positive impact in this crazy world that we live in so that's my job that's my full-time job right now (laughs) and um yeah so I like you know kind of orienting like prayer is a big thing in our family like we we say prayers together before bed and in the morning I say prayers with I started with Hugo, but I do it with both of them now. So we start our day off with prayers and we also have been talking a lot about like gratitude. But anyway, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I do. So I'll answer your question first about, I I think like maybe, yeah, early on with Hugo, maybe when he was like six months or something, I started just like, say, telling him you are my humble, understanding, gentle, obedient boy. So like for each letter of his name, Hugo. Um, so I chose some qualities. And so I just remind him of that every day that he's humble, understanding, gentle, and obedient, and he's working. I mean, he, he does all of those things really well, <laughs> but he's working a lot. We're working a lot right now in obedience, like what that, that looks like. <laughs> um, and Theo is my truthful, humble, empathetic, and obedient boy. I think obedient is really, a, and they both have O's in their names and their names are very similar. So um, I think it's just nice to remind them of that they are all those virtues. And I say, um, are you all those virtues? And Hugo says, oh, yes. And I'm like, are you more? And he's like, yes, I'm also grateful and um kind or something like he he says other things that we talk about and we talk a lot about gratitude too so Mm. so yeah I think we also so my sister and I last year during the pandemic started every other week a virtues class and so Hugo at that time was just a little over two and it's become yeah it was it's been really good so like we we sing songs we read stories we play a little game. And we we have a coloring page about the virtue. So it's been really wonderful, I think, just to like reinforce those virtues and try to focus on practicing it like in the two weeks before the next class, like talking about that specific virtue. So yeah, really thinking about these, like the virtues and cultivating those within my children um, and kind of just... Recognizing them when I see see Hugo or Theo um, demonstrating that. Can you tell <laughs> us about the jar activity that you do? Oh yeah, so well, I haven't done that actually recently. They were like acts of kindness, little acts of kindness that we put in a jar. And last year Hugo did it, like he would pick out one and we'd choose it. So like, help mommy sweep the floor, or you know, give someone a flower or say hi, like very simple things for a toddler to be able to do. But now I've been doing, actually brought it, um, service stars, he's like, he's bigger, he's able to do stuff like this. So (laughs) I made like a nine pointed star and every time he does an act act of service, he gets a sticker. At first it was like, just get nine and fill this up. And then he could get like a special treat or reward. But now we're like trying to fill up the whole thing. So, and we're not that great about it anymore, but I think that's a good thing because he now just is like learning to do it. And I just get so happy. Like there's been times where he's like, mommy, how can I help you? And I'm like, yes, I'm doing something <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my and so God. I, I think that's my goal to just make it like a normal part of who he is. Yeah. Um
0: he's and he's so. the
1: sweetest by the way he's
0: very just so you know my sister-in-law and my brother dress him up like a little gentleman and he is so posh he has the be- most beautiful clothes I've ever seen in my life <laughs> And he's like literally he's in these like sweater vests and things like that and he, he just looks so dapper but he also has the personality to like match it so he's like very you like really Reinforce that in him to like say that you are a gentleman. I just remember like you instilling the good masculine qualities in him. you would like reinforce that over and over again,
1: yeah. Was- I mean, uh, I think it's hard to raise boys, you know, and um, why is that hard to raise boys? Well, I, I mean, I just feel like I mean, i was I grew up with sisters, so and i yes. I thought I'd always have a girl, like so it's yes. I mean not not that it it's not hard to raise boys. I mean, I feel like I'm very blessed with very sweet boys, but um, I'm just, I meant to say in today's world, we need to raise gentlemanly boys and like boys who respect and love women, boys who are kind, boys who know that it's okay to cry and be sensitive, you know, all of those things. And so I, I do think it's interesting. My cousin shared with me like this book about raising boys and it divided um, like boyhood into three parts. And the first part is from zero to six. And that's the time, according to this book, that boys are closest to their mother. They learn from their mother and they learn how to love. So I was like, yes, that's what I'm like, that's what's happening in our family. So, um, and then like from six to 14, that's when they are like forming a bond with their father and they're learning how to be like a man in the world. Mm -hmm. And then from 14 onwards, that's when they really need mother and father, but also mentors in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like those even periods, like I haven't read the whole book, but just that part of it like, like rang really true to me. And um, it just made me think like, okay, like we just need to make sure that that's like what they're getting at those times in their life. So,
0: yeah, there's a book that I was reading called The King, the Warrior, the Magician and the Lover, and these are four archetypes of the masculine. And I was reading it mainly because to heal my own masculine energies, because every man or woman, they have both qualities. The women have both masculine and feminine, and the men have both masculine and feminine. And I knew that the masculine part of myself was quite active, but it was the dark or immature side of masculine that resided in me. And so I was reading this book really mainly for myself, but it really helped me understand not only my own brother's father, and also it really helped me if I like in the sense that if I were to raise boys, like that it emphasized the importance of ritual. And when men go from boys to men, that one of the things that is really lacking um, in society right now is this lack of ritual. So that boys just end up staying boys forever Mm. and they never step into manhood, which we have several examples of these in our surrounding. And so it's just interesting to that like that that moment of ritual where literally like in the olden days, it's like when the boy was taken away from his mother and circumscribed circum I'm not saying the word right. Circumcised. <laughs> circumcised <geez. laughs> circumcised. But also that they have to go through all of these different um uh like tests and like obstacles and kind of overcome themselves. And that the last point it was circumcision was like the final and most painful thing. And it required to be kind of almost like ripped away from the mother because the mother would not be able to stand or like, you know, she doesn't have the heart to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, it was like such a cue. Of being like, oh, I need to make sure that like I'm a little heartless when it comes to that. That I'm because I, I don't I don't want my boys to remain boys. I want them to be men and like real strong, like kingly men. Like of all the archetypes, when you have all of them that are healthy and in their power, you you stand residing and with justice and with discernment and with protecting the dominion and the women and all these things you just have those qualities so i was like i want to raise a kingly man and so that to me was like always so important that this I, l- I love the fact that you broke down these age groups because it was literally around the age of 14 that these rituals needed to be made and so it's kind of hard nowadays to find in a modern society to find a place where boys can actually become men but apparently there are a lot of these like sort of initiation sort of groups out there and if anyone is raising boys I highly recommend to go like do that but one thing I wanted to go back to is to share a little bit about your profession and like what was one of the decisions that you made when second baby came when baby Theo came
1: yeah, so um, I'm trained as an archiva- archivist slash librarian and I was She's working- in her organization <laughs> and penmanship, by the way. I, I'm a Let very start... like organized person. So I guess like information management makes sense for me. Um, <laughs> I like to organize and manage things but yeah things i'm not organized in every aspect of my life so like you could see my closets are not very organized. <laughs> um, anyway so yeah i was working in libraries for know, over 10 years um and we had moved to our current community because of a job for me but um it was really hard after i had Hugo I felt kind of torn you know I felt and I think all moms do all working moms do like I felt like I was never doing enough at work and I was not doing enough as a mom and so then after Hugo turned two no it was after he turned one um, my husband and I decided that the school year would be my last so it was before he turned two and we knew around the time when he, he was trying two that we would start trying to have another baby. So we decided that I would stay home with him and then baby number two. And that was it wasn't an easy decision. I think, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it and every person situation is different. So I know I'm sure most moms feel like they can, they want to make this decision.
0: I want to go into why that was difficult, particularly because of the environment that you were in. Describe the environment and the culture of the group of people you were around with that made this decision particularly difficult.
1: Oh, well, it was, I mean, I worked in an all girls school, a private all girls school, and it was great. I, I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. Nias, yes, can you go, please? Yeah. <laughs> Like motherhood, this is what my... <laughs> <laughs> this is the reality, guys. This is the show right here. Yeah. Um, I I loved I loved everyone that I worked with, and it was actually really great because there was a daycare connected to my school, so it was pre K to twelve, and I was working with the high school students. But so Hugo went to the the preschool and um, the daycare when he was just like four or five months and until he was almost two and that was great because i could go and i could check on him and they'd send me pictures and they'd text me and i'd see him you know they'd take him on walks around the school and everything but because that was there um most of the working the moms like took advantage of it and they had their kids in the daycare and they just worked Um, and they took kids up from you know I think it was three months onward. They would take kids. So there were little tiny babies there. And which is great. It was it was really great. Everyone was so wonderful. And Hugo still remembers. Like we have all these like this binder that they put together. Like this is this was when I went to school, mommy. And like these were all tell me who all my friends were. Tell me who my teacher was, (laughs) which is great. But it also, I made me, uh, that summer before we made the decision, my husband and I were really talking intensely, like, are we doing this just because everybody in the culture around us sends their kids to daycare and just works crazily? <laughs> like, do we need me to work? Like, can we survive on one income? And, um, you know, what's the benefit of having me stay home versus working? And the decision that we came to was that it's actually at this period in our child's life, really, really beneficial for me to be with him. And that's where my heart, that's where I wanted to be. And if we just budget and we make sure that we are you know, spending wisely and not living without think, like purchasing things without thinking, <laughs> saving more, um, we could do it. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it was actually really good because it forced us to budget properly and meal plan and shop to our meal plan every week. and And also just ask the question, like when we think we need to purchase something, do I need this really? Like, is it, is this more valuable or is like me spending time with my family more valuable? Um, and yeah, I wanted to share that because that was something on a personal level that worked for our family that we just came to that realization. Mm. Um, but I know everybody everybody's situation is different. So what works for us wouldn't necessarily work for someone else. And I think moms, no matter what they're doing, whether they're working moms or they're stay at home moms, they're doing an amazing job. I feel like moms tend to judge each other for making decisions one way or the other. And I just want to say you're amazing moms out there, no matter what you're doing, and you're like doing the best for your child and you're giving them the best um you have and so i just wanted to say that because i'm sure when i share this a lot of people feel like i wish i could do that but you know so
0: Mm. um, for me the thing that really stood out when you were sharing with me your internal struggle of making that decision was the fact that you worked for an all-female private school with women female teachers who were really all about women's empowerment and all these things and you making a decision to stay home was going to be backward in their eyes that you were taking a step back that
1: yeah it's no one came out and said that um but you feel that way because the everyone else is making a different choice so Mm. no one came out like everyone was like oh good for you but everybody else is like not making that choice you know mm-hmm. so you just don't see a lot of people I didn't see a lot of other people in the environment that I was working in making that choice to, mm-hmm. to stay home and it wasn't I, I I was recommended by one of the administrators to talk because to, I was like I feel so like I don't know it's hard for me to leave this job and I feel so you know you know guilty in some ways like leaving and you know I had these girls that I was working with like I was like their mentor um, yeah. and And she's like, oh, you should talk to like our, you know, consulting psychologist. And he was a man who was working as a psychologist for like over 35 years. And he said something to me that made me feel so good, more than like what any of the other women colleagues had said to me. He was just like, Hmm. in my 35 years of being a psychologist and working with working moms, I've never come across any mom who's regretted quitting her job to stay home with her kids. Really? And he was like, I've come across the opposite, but yeah. I've never come across uh, anyone who's regretted that. So I was like, wow. oh, that feels like I just felt very confirmed talking yeah. to him about that. That is so. very confirming.
0: What a sweet dude. Like sometimes <laughs> this is where I like it. This is where I I love because I had a really perhaps unhealthy perception of men of like how they're not awakened they're like not kind or like they're not this not that my brothers were like this but it's just somehow this perception kind of formed but they have also matured and grown a lot but I think yeah I mean this conversation is it's mean, I didn't think that this was going to be quite like a main theme in our conversation to talk about the love we have for the men in our life, or the love mm. that we have for the boys in our life, and that relationship. And not all men are bad, not all men are this. And that, even in moments of doubt, it's the men that lift us up and comfort us in our feminine decisions. And what a blessing that is when we see that, we recognize that, and we allow that to come in. Because I think a lot of women would reject that and push that away and be like all men suck so like if i'm making like a specific female decision about my body about my uterus about my babies how could a man possibly offer me any solace or advice on this issue you know
1: yeah well i think that's like i mean i really believe that men learn how to support women from their moms they learn how to respect them, how to like, you know, be comfortable around emotions and like how to identify emotions. So yeah, I think that's the the goal, right? Like when we're raising raising boys to like raise raise future men who will be compassionate and supportive and feminist men. Like (laughs) and I mean they learn that from their moms, but they also have to see that modeled through their dads too. So that's Mm -hmm. also important like to to feel on the same page as my husband with that. How are we talking about, how are we, you know, even though they see me at home and doing like the work at home, how does Niaz talk about that to them? How does he thank me for that in front of them? Yeah. How does he actually take on some of the tasks and how do I take on some of the tasks that he usually does? not all the time but like and then we're saying oh mommy can do this too like our daddy can do daddy can make breakfast for us <laughs> it's like, so um yeah just being conscious of of that like even though we kind of fall into more of that those like gendered roles with me at home with the boys we are trying to be conscious of finding opportunities to make sure that like they realize that we women don't have to just stay at home. And that Hugo knows, I always like tell him, he's like, he's like, mommy, sometimes he's like, mommy, where did I go to school? And I was like, oh, you went to school at, you know, the school where I, I used to work. What did you used to do? And I was like, I worked in the library. And like, he knows the answer. He just like, sometimes like <laughs> me telling <laughs> him. So, reminding him that I used to work and like that I had this conversation with him, that I made the decision, daddy and I made the decision that my work now is you and your brother, that daddy's working for us and we're so thankful. And and then, but Niaz then comes and is like, Mommy's working really hard today. She made this wonderful dinner. Thank you, Mommy. What do you say, Hugo? (laughs) Like, you know, those kind of things. So, we're trying the best that we can. (laughs) What are some other examples in terms of
0: other female gender or masculine feminine energies like when it comes to, with toys and things like that
1: yeah well it's funny because I grew up with sisters and you know not interested in cars or sports at all <laughs> uh, and, and
0: what is my nephew most interested yeah in?
1: <laughs> it's funny because I had like everything like when he was little like I didn't have especially a lot of cars or a lot of balls like he had blocks he had a baby doll he had all these different things but he just gravitated towards balls and cars and now he's obsessed with cars he also likes balls yeah he's obsessed with cars cars is the big thing he can like name like the make and model of cars (laughs) and he knows more than me
0: (laughs) he taught me what a a a dump truck was or like There was another kind of like truck that I had, like a front end loader or
1: something. Yeah, he knows all the construction vehicles.
0: Like I really don't know what these are called.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think there's something to be. Yeah, he's into he's into ball. He was really in the beginning. He loved like the ping pong balls because we have a ping pong table, and now he loves playing soccer. And he loves playing soccer with his imaginary friends these days. Like it's so cute. We're like, don't, don't you want to like play soccer with real friends? And he's like, No, I know how to play soccer with my imaginary friends. And we're like, But when you play soccer, you need to learn how to pass the ball and play with people. <laughs> so hopefully that'll come maybe next summer. I don't know. <laughs> but it's really cute. I I thought, you know, I didn't expect it to be like, whoa, he's like obsessed with cars. Like I thought it would be like more like general stuff so
0: the only thing that i wanted to end it on was what advice do you have for me um about motherhood if you have any
1: okay so for you but and then for all the listeners or just for you specifically,
0: <laughs> both like for anyone who's about to become a mother or or is not a mother yet and wants to become one like what what advice would you have for them
1: i don't know if this is advice but Well, I think it's, I mean, I guess like the advice would be to like, make sure you have a partner who you can communicate with really well and that you guys are on the same page and that you feel supported with, Mm -hmm. because really it's hard. Moms take on so much emotionally, so much of the emotional burden. So you need someone to be able to take some of that load, (laughs) to share the load with you. Um, that's really important, but also, I just want to say motherhood has like been the biggest blessing of my life. Like I've learned so much about myself, and I feel like like my heart has expanded so much, and i um I didn't know I was capable of so much patience and like so much love, like becoming a mother so i I know it's not for everyone. I know not everyone makes the choice, but if you do or if you're like debating. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's a wonderful experience
0: <laughs> that's a beautiful note to end on
1: all right thank you Nahal right. thank have you so day. much my love.
0: bye bye. so I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast if you have any comments do leave it in the blog it would be wonderful to hear your thoughts and if there's any follow-up questions that you have for Assia or for me for this specific episode do leave it in the comments of the blogs of each episode you can find it at www.yogaavecboine.com forward slash yam podcast and in the search bar you can type in the number of the episode and you'll be able to find it easily and leave your comments down below we can't wait to see you there and see you in the next episode